Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church. Sermon Extra, great to have you with us once again this week. I'm here with Pastor Nick Katie. He is the pastor of Whitefields Community Church here in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, we are back in our se- uh, series called The Risen Life as we look at, uh, what was you, what did you call it, the period after towards Pentecost, from Easter to Pentecost? Easter Tide. Easter Tide. And we look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and it's just been a great study. And we found ourselves this week looking at Thomas as uh, uh, Jesus appears to, to Thomas and says, you know, put your, put your hands in my wounds and, uh, you know, let your uh, disbelief go from to to belief and and Thomas says my lord and my god and so we looked at a few of those things and some interesting facts about Thomas um you know just to go on Thomas is is uh it's reported that he he died in India and uh, but uh, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of uh, uh records point to the fact he might have gone all the way into China as well, so that's just very, very interesting. When you think about where Thomas went after this point in in you know in going from from doubt to to belief, becomes a, a, a missionary out towards towards the east, and so that was the title of our message: from doubt to belief. And you can find it there at WhitefieldsCommunityChurch.com. Um, if you missed our sermon on Sunday, and it's of course on any of your favorite streaming platforms, and if you would please a like or review. You know, rate it, five-star rating if possible. Leave a comment. That always really, really helps in the algorithm and getting this content out there so that when people are asking, you know, things about God, about life, we can give them Christ-centered, gospel-centered answers to their questions. And, of course, it's up on YouTube. It's up on Facebook. Definitely follow us there. Subscribe and like and do all those kind of things. But this week's sermon in John chapter 20, we looked at, you know, that interaction there with Jesus and Thomas, and, and we had a lot of feedback about people were were really, uh, you know, kind of touched or it really impacted them. This idea of of having doubts about your faith. Yeah, I think that you know I mentioned that there's a couple different ways that people respond to doubt. One way is to demonize it. I think that that's been done a lot. I've seen it, you know, where people are like, "Hey, just believe, man. Like, hey, stop asking so many questions, you know." And that's not helpful because what happens is with anything you suppress, right, it doesn't go away. And so the other way is to idolize doubt. I think that's really common, especially with um, people my age and younger. You know, it's really popular now to deconstruct. But I mean, if you deconstruct and you never get anywhere, then what was the point of that, right? It's, it's, I think there's a really interesting quote from The Life of Pi, which is a, a book kind of like, uh, it's a novel, but it used a lot of philosophy and stuff. And it says that choosing doubt as a philosophy of life is like choosing immobility as a means of transportation. It, it, what's the point? It doesn't get you anywhere. And so rather than that, we want to see doubt as an opportunity. And, uh, and I think that we can see that in the Bible, that Jesus is very patient with people who doubt. God is patient in the Old Testament with people who doubted, like Gideon gives him so much uh, grace and patience beyond what he deserved. And isn't that true for all of us? But I would say that the one thing I would want people to know, and I think the reason it resonated is because on the one hand, everybody has struggled with doubt. As I said, doubt is part of faith. You can't have faith unless there's some degree of something you don't know, right? And so uh, 
that's what takes faith. That's where trust begins. And so rather than demonizing doubt and rather than idolizing doubt, we want to see it as an opportunity to begin this quest, which will lead us somewhere. At some point, we do got to get off the quest and get off the fence, as I said, and we have to choose as Thomas did. And as you said, Thomas had his questions answered and then Thomas became a missionary, right? He, he didn't just go on doubting and, and going nowhere and spinning his wheels. He ended up saying, okay, I see the evidence and I will now believe. There's an aspect of this where if Jesus says, don't unbelieve or don't disbelieve, but believe, that means that there's a choice that needs to be made. It's not just something that happens to you one day. It's a choice that needs to be made. Now, I think a lot of people do think that's all it is. It's like, almost like falling in love, right? Falling in love just means that you have these overwhelming feelings and there's nothing you can do about it, so you must act on them. And, and some people, I think, think that uh, belief happens the same way. First of all, I would say that I don't think that that's what love is. As we know, that love is an action, not just a feeling. And you have to choose to love even when you don't have the feelings. But belief is the same way. I mean, that's what you do when you believe. You are making a choice to trust and to believe even when your feelings don't necessarily align with that. That's actually when faith and trust comes into play perhaps the most. Uh, you know, what, what I find really interesting about this is, uh, like I said, everybody can relate to this. Everybody has had doubts. Everybody ha knows somebody who has expressed doubts. And uh, here's the thing that I found really interesting as I was studying up on this is that there are um, a lot of people who are atheists. They've done studies on people who are atheists. And um, those studies show that a lot of atheists really struggle with doubts about if they're right. And, and I think that sometimes people have this idea, right, that, that uh, you know, people who believe things, you know, that's not the same as like people who are atheists, they're like convinced because they've looked at the evidence. Well, the fact is that's not the case. Uh, it's not the case that they're fully convinced on the one hand. And the other hand is that it's not, you don't become an atheist just by looking at evidence, because it is a, is a faith commitment. Let's put it this way. There's not enough evidence out there to disprove God, right? So it's not like you're, you're making this commitment because you've just looked at the facts. No, no, no. You have looked at some things and you've drawn conclusions about them. That's, that's how you end up there. And it's the exact same way that you end up being a Christian. You look at the evidence and then based on that, you make a conclusion of faith. You take a step. And uh, either way, you're exercising faith. Either way, you're exercising a belief um, because there's something that you don't know and yet you're choosing to trust. Yeah, and I think that's, that's an important point because, you know, when we're faced with the evidence, we're faced with the knowledge, there is a choice to be made as to what we do with that. And I think that's what, you know, I think is important. I think one of the you know, things that, uh, you know, resonated with me is when Thomas says, my Lord, my God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus presents the evidence. Here I am. I'm standing in front of you. And, you know, people have today, they have the evidence, they have it. And they, what do they do with it? And mm -hmm. when Jesus stands in front of you and says, here I am, you need to make a choice. It's a commitment of your life to the evidence that God has presented to you. You have to do something with it. And, mm -hmm. you know, and that's the point where people either say, my Lord, my God, or they say, I'm just going to follow my own way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's that's the choice that we, we are faced with many times is that it's not necessarily, you know, I'm 
have to step out in blindness. I'm faced with evidence. Mm. God well, exists. And to that point, there's actually a good example in the Bible of somebody who was presented with the evidence and didn't deny the evidence and yet chose not to surrender his life. And that would be in the book of Acts mm-hmm. oh, with yes, uh, yeah. Felix, right? So that, um, that Paul stands before this king and uh, the king, you know, brings him forward and, and they hear Paul out. And then he says, you know, Paul, you would almost convince me to be a Christian too. And he says, come on, man, this stuff didn't happen in a corner is what Paul says to him. This stuff all happened. You know that it happened. And he says at the end of the day, he says, yeah, but I'm still not going to do it. He just ends up walking away. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They come to this point where they know they, make a de- they need to make a decision. But rather than making a decision, they just do nothing, right? So it's this point of in, it's not that they reject it. It's that they don't take that step. And you know, one of the things that Greg Laurie um, always says, a famous evangelist, he always says that, to not make a decision is a decision. That's a decision. So everybody's making a decision. And I think that's a really important point for people is that, um, you know, Thomas, he made his decision, but if he would have just said, oh, okay, cool. Nice to see you, Jesus. And then like, you know, left or done something else and not come to that point of saying, my Lord, my God, that's also a decision. And I, I think that's an important point for people to recognize. Yeah, and I think that that brings up a, a, another another thing that we discussed was that, you know, people who are faced with empirical evidence don't usually base their decision on the evidence in front of them, but on other factors surrounding that. You know, it might be some emotional uh, tie. It might be that I don't want to submit myself to God because mm-hmm. of what that might mean. You know, I've, I've heard of different people, well, God's going to take this away from me or he's mm-hmm. going to take that away from me. They have these fears or these misconceptions about who God is. And so they they back away from the Lord, you know, not based on the fact that he, he says he is who he says he is, but on other factors, you know, other emotional things. Yeah, there's a thing in, in a psychology world called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance basically means that um, we justify our actions. So we want to feel that we're making a good decision. We want to think that we're smart, rational people. And so we do this thing called cognitive dissonance, which means that even if you make a bad decision, you'll somehow, you know, do these uh, gymnastics gymnastics (laughs) in your mind to convince yourself that it wasn't really that bad. And people do that cognitive dissonance when it comes to believing in God as well. There's a really, you know, famous saying that I often repeat when we talk about these subjects, and that is that for the majority of people who choose not to follow Jesus, it isn't that, it isn't primarily the empirical evidence, it's something personal. And, um, and you know, I, I've, I've heard that fleshed out so many times. I've had people who say to me, okay, cool, like I've heard this stuff and I don't doubt that it's true, but why are Christians so mean? Or why would God let this thing happen to this person that I love? Or why would God let this other terrible thing happen in the world? And frankly, that's not a new question because the oldest book in the Bible the book of Job, probably written prior to the writing of the book of Genesis. Now, it didn't precede the, the events in the book of Genesis, but it was probably written down prior to it. Um, it's about that question. 
here's a guy who does everything right and loves God and worships God, and then some terrible thing happens in his life. And the whole book is trying to sort out the question of why do bad things happen to good people, as we like to say. And so it's not a, um, it's not a new question, and it's also not a question that hasn't been answered, um, but it's a very deeply personal question. And um, I, I recently was, uh, in my reading, I was reading about a man who was a pastor, and he was talking about something very difficult to happen in his life. I think it was the death of his wife um, after many years, decades. And he said that for many years he had never struggled in his faith. And then all of a sudden when his wife died, he began to struggle. Uh, a friend of ours, I remember talking to him, his father died. He was a missionary and his father died. And he said that for years he really struggled with understanding why God would allow his father to die. But he said that one thing that really helped him was coming to the realization that, wait a second, like, do I think that that essentially God owes it to me. I mean, literally every person who's ever lived has, has died and they had loved ones. Well, except for a couple, right? There yeah. are a few exceptions there, but, um, you know, why would I, why would I go and question that? So, so for example, a lot of people have died. Why am I not upset that those people died, right? Those people had children, they had fathers, they had mothers and, and they died. Why, why am I upset about this person now? And the reason is because it's personal. And uh, the answer, though, is that um, Jesus has come because God so loved the world that he sent his son. So whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He came to get rid of death forever. So he does care, right? He has acted and he has given hope. And so uh, there, are, there are answers to the questions. That's my point. And, and one of the things I really want people to understand is that you don't have to suppress your your mental capacity in order to be a, a follower of Jesus. In fact, God doesn't encourage that. He Look at Job. I mean, he's so patient with Job, right? At the end of the day, he kind of puts Job in his place. But you know what? For 30-something chapters, he just lets Job and then his friends like go on and talk about this stuff before he gets involved. And what that means is that God isn't suppressing the questions. God doesn't hide Job's questions either, right? Like he doesn't say, hey, let's pretend that didn't happen. No, he puts out Job's hardest questions and he puts them in a book in his Bible and lets everybody read them, you know? So in other words, God isn't suppressing questions and neither should we. We should let people be honest about their questions. But if you're really honest about your questions, then be willing to to accept uh, a sincere answer when one is provided. That's the other thing I've run into is that you have people who ask questions, but then when the answer is provided, they're, they're not necessarily willing to accept it. And I think you got to give it to Thomas for that reason that when he saw the evidence, he said, okay. Yeah, no, I've done that with quite a few people actually that I told them and I said, I promise you that you, if you're sincerely looking for an answer to your question, God will answer it. And I've laid down that claim for them and said, you come back to me. If God doesn't answer you, you come back. Or if he does answer you, come back and talk to me. And I've had people come back and tell me God answered their questions legitimately. And uh, yeah, I mean, God is willing. If you legitimately want an answer to your question, God will answer your questions. I, I just believe, believe he will. I mean, some it might not be the answer you want, but I think if you truly, the Bible says, if you're seek, honestly, are seeking his face, he is going to find you and love you and take care of you. I mean, it's just, 
That's what Jesus did. That's, that's salvation through Christ. It's God seeking out man who was at that point not even seeking him, you know. So that's, that's an amazing thing to think about. And just to plug another series, uh, when we're talking about doubt is that we have a series called I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And uh, we'll link it down in the description. And, you know, there's just a lot of those, you know, maybe you have friends have a lot of these questions. I could never believe in a God who, you know, hates science or, uh, you know, all the, you know, suppresses women, suppresses women, you know, let's bad things happen to good people. There's a bunch. I think there's six in the series. A great, great way to, to, you know, combat some of these doubts you might have, or maybe you have friends that uh, you you have these doubts and you can present this, uh, you know, send them the link and uh, just a great way to maybe answer some of the questions that you might have. You know, I'm bringing you to that point to say, my Lord and my God. And that's kind of what we're all about here is to get people to that place where they they see the Lord and they say, my Lord and my God. And so, whitefieldschurch.com, you missed the sermon on Sunday. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.